Heavenly King, Paraclete, Spirit of Truth, you are everywhere present and fill all things. Treasury of all that is good and master of life, come, dwell within us, cleanse us from all stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father and the Son, early men may Mary, the Mother of God, help us. We're going to be looking now at a section, we probably won't finish, from Romans 2, 1 to 3.20. It's the elaboration and development of the material we saw last week, uh, which was chapter 1, uh, starting with verse uh, 18 and um, going down to 32. Uh, that was all about uh, suppressing the truth and the consequences of that, which is immorality and a society whose culture is immoral. And I pointed out, see, it's in that lack of the knowledge of God and God as Father and His, his um, providence and care that begins a lot of the uh, culture of homosexuality. Uh, there are some people with stronger self, you know, same-sex drives as others. Uh, but that's, the problem is deeper, and that's why Paul ends by talking about uh, uh, all the other vices that go with it, you know. Is the Jerusalem Bible has it. Uh, Rude, arrogant, boastful, enterprising in sin, rebellious to parents, without brains, honor, love, or pity. They know what God's verdict is, that those who behave like this deserve to die, and yet they do it. And what is worth, worse, encourage others to do the same. That's the way he ends that total chaos of the culture. We're starting to experience that. You know, there are places in Germany where only 30% of the people are baptized. And with the loss of that tie to reason, enlightened by faith, comes this world where there's open rebellion against God. There is really a suppression against, uh, suppression of the truth. It's irrational. All right. Now he moves on. That was all about the Jewish virgin, Jewish vision, rather, of, uh, uh, the world, non-Jewish world. Now, he turns his heart and mind more toward the Jews, but he says some remarkable things about conscience and the gift of conscience. And therefore, not every non-Jew is considered condemned. It's, uh, but the culture is condemnable. It's about where we are. You know, I remember somebody was driving along on the road, a young woman, and her car broke down, and a man, 40 or 50, stopped his car and uh, took her to the, fixed it, that's what he did. He took, he took the time to fix the car and then drove off. Well, whoever he was, when he dies, if he's still close to God and relating to God, Jesus is going to say, I was alone and frightened on the road and you came and helped me. 
because he did. All right. The text begins, Therefore, you are without excuse. Now, there's something very interesting. Some of the words that he applies here, uh, he has, he's taking or using again from the indictment of the whole non-Jewish culture. Whoever you are without excuse, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For in regard to the point at which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you do the same things, you who judge. Now we know that God's judgment is according to the truth on all those who do such things. All those who do such things, that's his point. So do you think, O man, who judge those who do such things while doing the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? That's a great illusion in our minds sometimes. Belong to religious tradition but not really practice it and think somehow we have greater moral integrity than we don't. This is Paul's point here. Very interesting words he uses too. Uh, now, you see, God's judgment is according to the truth. You see, the crema of God, the judgment, is kara'arithian, according to the truth, on all those who do such things. So do you think, O oh man, who judge those who do such things while doing the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise, and now it's important to pay attention to the, the way Paul speaks about God. You know, this is not just a condemnation of the whole pagan world. Like, You know? Uh, do you despise the riches of his goodness, patience, and long-suffering, not knowing that God's kindness is leading you to repentance? That part addressed mostly to Jews, but you're, you're, you know, you're in the same sheep yourself. God is leading you to repentance. With this hardness of yours and unrepentant heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath, which is another word. God's wrath has been revealed uh, in chapter 1. On the day of wrath and revelation of the just judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his works. Each one. So if you're a Christian but are not practicing, you're in no better shape than the pagan. You're going to be judged on your works. Okay. Um, in fact, we're worse off, you know, because if Christians knowing better are having abortions and so forth, you know, having been taught so much differently. Uh, see, you're treasuring up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath and revelation of the just judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his works. Now, to those who by perseverance in good work, notice, he's not just saying Jews, you see, or Christians. To those who by perseverance in good work seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. To those characterized by self-seeking and who resist the truth, and now he's using a different word than he used before. Uh, you see, uh, going along with injustice, there will be wrath and fury. We have that word wrath again, which means confronting the fire of God's love and being unable to stand it because of our own 
situation. You see? Uh, affliction and anguish on every human being who carries out evil, both to Jew first and also to Greek. In other words, it doesn't do any good to say I'm a Christian unless you live like one. Uh, you see? You can say I have a privilege of, of being, you know, gifted by faith to believe in Jesus Christ, but I'm not doing it. Affliction and anguish on every human being who carries out evil, both to Jew first and also to Greek. Now, listen to this. Glory and honor and peace to everyone who does what is good, both to Jew first and also to Greek. For there is no respect of persons with God. Now, Paul is looking at this in a very particular perspective. He doesn't mean, since oh, they're all doing well, you don't have to bother them. So few, without the grace of Christ and the knowledge of Christ, are able to do these noble things that Paul is just talking about. Why did those missionaries for years, you see, go out? I, I used to sit next to a friend of mine, a German fellow, white father, he told me the average missionary lasts about eight or ten years. They get sick from the weather, from the food, from the... And they, you know, they're out there to preach the gospel. Is it that important? Yes! Look at the way Paul went around. It's not enough to say, well, God's broad-minded. Wherever they are, they're, you know, that's not all of it. You know? And that's why, uh, if you look at uh, Gaudium et Spes number 16, you see, it does talk about but then the second paragraph is saying, you know, of this very thing, people following their conscience and knowing well. And people do do it, helped by the grace of God. But it's much more difficult to be saved without knowing Christ, submitting to him and loving him and obeying him and living out his command. It's much more difficult. And so Paul is not saying, oh, it doesn't make any difference. Why would he say that and then spend his life traveling around the world preaching Christ if it were necessary. It's one of the weaknesses of the way people interpret Vatican II. And what has happened? Missionary activity in the part of the church nearly dried up. Now oh, they're fine the way they are. That's an awful illusion. And it's only said by people who never lived in those environments either, I must say. Uh, on the other hand, you walk into a group or a family that's really Christian, you know it right away. There's something different. That's what he's trying to say here. Glory and honor and peace to everyone who does what is good, both to Jew first and also to Greek, for there's no respect of persons with God. Now he goes on to develop that. Those who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. Those who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. You've heard God tell you how to live, and you don't do it. And for us now, Christians, experiencing the mercy and the power and the life of God in us, we're obliged to tell the world about this. Look at the number of teenage suicides. Look at the number of uh, teenage pregnancies. Who's helping these people? It's much harder without faith.
That's why it's absolutely necessary. That's why we have now this whole movement of the new evangelization. The first object of evangelization, the Christians themselves. Because we've been taken over by a pagan culture and live in it, making little compromises here and there. Instead of loving the Lord, submitting to Him, obeying Him, trusting Him, and then telling other people about it. It happens in a neighborhood, there's a Christian family, maybe two, and a, and a Donna block. But often happens, after a while, they notice this. So they go over and say, how do you do it? Your kids respect you. They're home when you tell them to be home. They're not in any trouble. You two, I never hear any fighting going on in your house. How do you do it? That's when you, that's when you evangelize. The grace of Christ, no other reason. So that's what's going on here. Those who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. Those who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the Lord who are just before God. Rather, the doers of the law will be justified. Now, the foundation for that justification is faith. As he's going to say, as he continues to develop his letter. And now, he starts to work on this notion of conscience. For whenever the Gentiles, who do not have the law by nature, do the requirements of the law, they, not having a law, are a law for themselves. They show forth the work of the law written in their hearts, with their conscience also bearing witness. This is very precious. This is uh, a wider notion that we find only in uh, Judaism. This is a Greek notion. It's synesis, that is, knowing the power, knowing in our heart what's right and wrong, knowing that, uh, and following it. That's conscience. It's so deep in us. It's the reason, it's the power to reason. It's the power to grasp truth. You see, the first act of grasping truth is called understanding. Or it's an intuition. And as St. Thomas says, that intuition is at the root of reason. But it's deeper than reason. Um, all right, we'll stop there.